You most likely know what these chants are about already. Right here in Ithaca, Trumansburg, throughout upstate New York, across the nation, and now even across the world, protests and some riots have broken out in response to the death of George Floyd, a black Minneapolis man killed by a police officer, and other victims of police brutality. What are you on? I'm on listening to a summer edition of Ithaca Now, WICB's news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Jay Bradley, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's episode, we'll be exploring these protests and what they mean for the greater Ithaca community and how local advocacy groups and students have reacted. We'll be talking to representatives from activist organizations and students, as well as taking a brief look into an important moment from just a few years ago. At WICB, we express our support for the black community and stand in solidarity with protesters across the nation. The full statement from our station can be found on our website, WICB.org. There you can find resources for action and education, as well as a list of organizations and businesses in Ithaca that our station believes are worthy of your support, including groups like Black Lives Matter Ithaca, the Multicultural Resource Center in Ithaca, and more. In addition, you can find a curated playlist of past WICB news stories that show the recent history of anti-racist advocacy, Black Lives Matter, and issues in Ithaca. First, we will be talking to Ithaca Voice reporter Anna Lamb about covering these protests, what she saw while she was there, and what challenges there were in reporting on it. So, like, we've seen uh, this series of protests here in Ithaca from, like, different organizations like Occupy Ithaca, Black Lives Matter Ithaca, and a bunch of others. So, while covering them, what have you seen? Well, definitely at the beginning, it was a little bit more disorganized. Like, Occupy Ithaca posted an event on their Facebook page that spread really quickly. But like everyone was kind of like, who is Occupy Ithaca? They haven't posted on their page in many, many years. And so like from that first protest, like some leaders have really emerged to have sort of been like emceeing or moderating future protests. And so like that's been really cool to kind of see organization come out of sort of an organic meeting and like an organic need for the community to gather because everyone is angry and frustrated and like needed to sort of express that and get that out. And like the organization part sort of came later. So you'd say it's much more like focused now that we've seen it happen for a little while now. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been like some more concrete like asks. Like there's more, this is what we want as an organizing group or like certain people have come forward and asked their elected officials for things. A lot of it is like alternatives to incarceration, defunding the police, which is like a big one that's come out in the last two weeks or so. Definitely like calling on certain specific elected officials. Like the big one that people keep saying is like Matt Van Houten, who's the district attorney, needs to be voted out. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that, but, like, that's definitely been a call that I've heard over the last couple weeks of protests. So what was it like to kind of approach all of these protests as a reporter? I had already had some familiarity with, like, some of the leaders in the community who really stepped up during these protests. 
like I had talked to Phoebe Brown already, who has really taken charge in a lot of these rallies for like another story a while back. And like Dr. Nia Nunn has spoken at a lot of these protests. She's the chair of the board for Southside Community Center. So like I was familiar with her already. But like a lot of it has been like introducing myself to people that I didn't know before. And then, like, it's only gotten easier covering it because, like, like I was saying before, like, a handful of people have really emerged as, like, the leaders of the protests and, like, have been continuously vocal over the last couple of weeks. So it's it's just been about, like, forming a relationship with those people and uh, just getting out there and, like, making sure I stay for the whole protest and, like, not miss anything anyone says. But, yeah, it's been a lot of getting outside in the sun. <laughs> Just kind of nice, but also weird because like we're just in quarantine for three months and now I'm like surrounded by people. So it's been a balance of like also trying to take safety precautions and hand sanitize and try to keep my distance and wear a mask and all that. Yeah. So what about the COVID-19 aspects of everything? Like were there efforts to keep social distancing? I believe Mayor Myrick uh, recommended like self-quarantine after attending some of these, but so far we haven't seen any like spike in cases, right? Right. So like the governor extended testing criteria to all people who have attended protests. Um, I mean, yeah, locally, we have not seen a real spike. Like, we're still hovering at around 11 active cases. And the first protest was three weeks ago, uh, which, like, you'd think that's beyond the threshold of developing coronavirus symptoms. But I mean, like, it's been hard for people to keep their distance, certainly. But what I've noticed is, like, mostly everyone is wearing their masks. Organizers have provided hand sanitizer to folks. The only people who don't have their mask on is people who are speaking into the microphone. And like, there's been some sanitation of microphone after. So I mean, I think like the distance thing is really the only thing that people haven't really been following super strict. So what for you was like, some of the most impactful, like, images, messages, what stood out to you? The most out of the protests? I mean, I can honestly say, like, the most visceral reaction I had is um, when Kaji Malone, who was involved in the Commons incident last year, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but he spoke publicly for the first time. And, you know, he got up there and he's saying, like, how this could be me, then this was me. And, like, that really impacted me because, like, we're the same age. And, like, thinking that like he was already sort of living in fear of something happening to him because of the color of his skin because of his sexual orientation and then now he's saying he has this new hate in his heart that he never had before and because of the incident like just thinking that like my peer someone my same age had to experience that and like millions of people have to experience systemic racism on a daily basis. It just like really struck me in that moment. Is there any more you wanted to say about your uh, reporting or uh, your experiences at the protest? I would just say like that Ithaca is kind of like infamous for protests. There's seemingly one every few months. This though is different. Like this is the most people showing up consistently and like the energy only seems to be evolving it doesn't seem to be dying out um 
And so like, I'm excited for the momentum that has been built and excited to like see where organizers take things in the future. Okay. I think that's all I had. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for giving me a call. That was Anna Lamp, reporter at the Ithaca Voice, who has been covering the protests in Ithaca as they've been occurring in our community. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. The message of the protests is affecting local electoral politics as well. The heated race for the 125th New York State Assembly District had its candidates recently subject to a, quote, black town hall moderated by Southside Community Center's board chair and Ithaca College professor Nia Nunn, where candidates faced questions about topics like police brutality and opportunities and resources for the black community. A write-up of the event can be found on the Ithaca Voice, and a full video can be found on the Southside Community Center's Facebook page. Ithaca Police Chief, in a letter to the Ithaca Voice the week of the killing, said, quote, the viral video was utterly appalling and abhorrent to watch, and the actions of the police officers involved are in no way consistent with any appropriate arrest and control tactics, nor any level of human decency, and that reverence for life must always be our top priority, and all persons should be treated with dignity, respect, and compassion. Anything less will not be tolerated within the law enforcement profession. Chief Nair went on to say, our goal will always be to keep Ithaca safe and to continue to improve our small corner of the world through our service. In addition, he told WENY that he and the IPD want to be part of the solution and says that if protesters reach out to the IPD, they would even assist in their efforts. The Tompkins County Sheriff's Office announced the introduction of a new duty to intervene policy also, requiring fellow officer intervention when a colleague breaks protocol. It also extends to providing medical attention to an individual if aid is needed. The full order can be found on the Ithaca Voice in a report by Thomas Pudney. But still, people in Ithaca have demands. A common call for many across the nation is to defund and demilitarize the police, then reinvest in community programs to combat things like poverty and drug addiction, which contribute to criminal behavior and incarceration. So I think that a lot of reforms that have been put in place um, in, in years past over these outbursts of anger over uh, racist police violence, uh, you know, we have these reforms about implicit bias, mindfulness, um, diversifying leadership within a police department, body cameras, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the fact is, is that it hasn't really, it doesn't have a lot to show for it, and this violence continues to happen. That's Andrew Curtis, a representative of the Ithaca chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, which has been supporting many of the protests and organizing through solidarity work. So I think what people are starting to say now is that this is a deeply systemic issue, and a lot of these reforms just aren't working. So I think that's why we've been seeing calls to defund the police and disarm the police, uh, and in some cases uh, abolish the police, which you know just means replacing it with uh, a more just and humane um, justice system. There are these organizations and activist groups and um, that are uh, calling for these demands. Um, and I think it's something that Americans really have to start thinking about. He says that one of the most important actions for activists and organizers and what the DSA has tried to do as an organization is to kind of steer the conversation from this, this anger that's there, but to kind of uh, steer it in a direction that's more constructive and, and what can we do about it to really reduce police violence, which has and does happen in Ithaca. He reiterated that all the protests have been uh, totally peaceful, um, disruptive, but I mean, that's that's a part of attaining justice is that we, 
we have to feel uncomfortable with these sorts of things. One of the important things to understand about the call to defund the police is that this these funds are to be uh, taken from that area and then reallocated to invest back into the community to really get to the heart and root of these issues which cause this uh, sort of violence to, to take place. He pointed to how police are expanded into many different responsibilities, like dealing with the homeless and having a presence in schools. And he and other protesters believe that things can be done with funds from police to invest in, uh, in housing, affordable housing, social housing. We can invest in our schools, get the police out of schools. Um, we can make sure that uh, schools have more counselors, more after-school programs. Which he says will get more towards the root sources of violence and crime. Um, and, you know, I think that is something that nobody would really disagree with, um, including the police. I mean, of course, they would not want it to be at the expense of their budget. But um, we see those two issues, issues as very intimately connected. And in order to end police brutality, we have to defund. That was Andrew Curtis, a representative of the Ithaca chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. While not all protesting groups and organizations agree, they all tend to agree that police brutality is wrong and that, of course, black lives do matter. Many local and national organizations and businesses alike are affirming the anti-racist protests, many coming out with their own Black Lives Matter statements and actions. Over two dozen religious leaders in a joint letter featured in the Ithaca Voice recently spoke out decrying different forms of systemic racism present today, citing the unequal effects of the coronavirus pandemic, economic disparity, and police brutality. The letter says they unequivocally affirm that Black Lives Matter, calling for an end to police brutality and state-sponsored violence. One of the most active groups has been students. Although most students have now been away from in-person classroom instruction for months due to the COVID-19 pandemic, many are still organizing efforts remotely, much like our station. At Cornell, it has prompted a brand new organization to come to life, Cornell Students for Black Lives. Um, so Cornell Students for Black Lives is a coalition of 185 Cornell student organizations. We're Black-led, so we have a committee of Black students who lead this initiative. So we've chosen all the organizations, the means by which we market and fundraise. And then from there, we have the larger coalition who supports, um, who supports us in doing this work. That's Cheryl Farmer, one of the organizers. The Coalition of Student Organizations was only founded in the beginning of June, inspired by a similar movement at Rice University. And since then... Essentially supporting the work of these organizations and then hopefully educating the larger community so that we can bring change in, our, in Ithaca and on the Cornell campus. She says organizing while everyone is off campus was... It's honestly been very rough, mainly because of one, we're all virtual, and then two, the accelerated timeline. We really wanted to get this fundraiser off the ground as soon as possible because we want to be able to capitalize on momentum in the Black Lives Matter movement that's happening right now. We came up with a word of mouth type like Google form. So we started off telling like organizations that we were in like, hey, we have this idea, would you be interested? And then if you're interested, send this to three more organizations that you would be interested, like that you think okay. would be joining this. And it spread really, really fast. She says short term, the organization is focusing on its fundraiser. The fundraiser supports five organizations, Communities United for Police Reform, the Southside Community Center, 
Tompkins County showing up for racial justice, Black Lives Matter of Greater New York, and the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. We have been fundraising through GoFundMe and through Venmo and in spreading information about both platforms, we are using a social media push. So we have an Instagram page, a Facebook page, and then we've been sending out a lot of emails um, to alumni listservs, um, to faculty, to deans, um, local committee members, so lot, lots of emailing. And as for the focus on and needs of this region. So while Ithaca hasn't been the spotlight of conversations around like police brutality or anything like that, it definitely still occurs. The other day, a lot of the speakers, like they spoke on this. Um, IPD is not immune from um, racist policing practices and that definitely needs to be addressed. And I think that by supporting the organizations that we are, we can do that. Um, in addition to um, in policing, Black Ithacans um, live vastly different lives. So in terms of like home ownership, um, education, your experiences, the school to prison pipeline, access to food, these are all very real issues. And by supporting like organizations such as the Southside Community Center, we work to address them. So how much has Cornell Students for Black Lives raised? Well, in short, a lot more than they expected to. In just one week, they've raised over $55,000 and have extended the fundraiser to Friday, June 19th. We were really surprised. Um, our initial goal was $5,000, actually. And it's like in, within the first four hours, we hit $5,000. And then within the first seven, we hit 10000 So we realized, like, we can actually raise so much money for these organizations. So mm -hmm. the goal has just been increasing day by day. And it's been amazing. And when they get back to campus. President Martha Pollack, she recently released a statement in regards to like all the protests and the racial injustice throughout the nation. And she had ideas such as like dialogue and sitting down and those are all great. Um, however, I do think that words without actions are meaningless. You need to put something behind what you're saying. So I think that our coalition will likely be demanding some some action from Martha. Tell us what you're going to do to um, support Ithaca as a whole. Like we're, we as a campus, we are a part of this community. What are you doing to support them? And what are you doing to support and include the black students on your campus? It's one thing to accept black students, but it's a different thing to actually support them and make sure they're included in the community. That was Cheryl Farmer of Cornell Students for Black Lives. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Their GoFundMe fundraiser can be found on the Cornell Students for Black Lives Facebook and Instagram pages. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. President Shirley Coyado of Ithaca College sent a message of sympathy and reflection to the students at the college, and IC followed that, creating a response discussion on racist rhetoric and racial violence. At Cornell, President Martha Pollack pledged to address racism through initiatives like improving Cornell Police Department, having Zoom sessions on institutional racism and allyship, and a campus-wide reading of the book How to Be an Anti-Racist. But as we've seen with Cornell Students for Black Lives, in many instances, students are taking it upon themselves to bring about change. Cornell students Devante Parker and Eamon Naji began an effort that led to a large march downtown in support of the cause, and now are helping to get the word out about student petitions that go beyond just addressing police brutality, also demanding greater student say in the practices of the university. I got to sit down and talk to Eamon to take us through the movements and issues Cornell students are pushing for right now. 
This interview will be shortened for time, and the full interview will be found on WICB.org. So what is the recent activism work that you've been involved in and what your organizations have contributed to it? Yeah, sure. So the most um, recent uh, involvement we've had, the major one was a protest that me and Devante um, have planned out. So that was something me and Devante figured we should have should leave something in Ithaca considering there wasn't any movements we saw back when the BLM movement was first getting started. So we decided to organize a protest. And once we... Um, posted it on social media, we saw that it started getting traction and a lot of people were actually intending to go. So that's when we reached out to some community leaders and we got we were able to organize it with a bunch of leaders, both from Cornell as well as the community and as well as some high schoolers too. I, I heard it turned out that there was another protest that was organized that happened to be on the same day. And yeah, the turnout came out to be really great. It was like uh, loads of people, almost a thousand people showed up and it was peaceful and exactly how we intended to go, which was really nice. Yeah, so tell me about the kind of stuff you saw at the march. Uh, what did you see? What did you get out of it? Yeah, so it really showed me how how, how involved the community was was active in terms of um, trying to bring a change, you know? It's like, at first we thought, um, especially with the lack of uh, people of color here in Ithaca, we thought there wouldn't be a large support group. But it turns out that, especially a lot of white allies, and there were a lot of individuals who were on the same boat as us and really wanted to see a change in a reform, not just across the United States, but even in Ithaca. Like, I got a chance to talk with a woman named Sabina, who's a part of uh, WORC, I believe. I'd have to double-check that. But she was a, a bunch about, like, Tompkins County and how there were a lot of changes needed to be made within the region. Because it was, um, and that's how I got to learn more about um, the stuff we need to do here in Tompkins. So what are some of those things that were brought up that um, you, your organizers, the people at the march think? need to be improved on, just like for Ithaca and even specifically Cornell? Yeah, for sure. So I can elaborate first on what um, Sabina taught me about. I have it up here. So actually during the march, we were able to um, join a bunch of tombstones representing all the reforms and like the issues we had in the region. So um, I remember one of the ones that uh, she had concerns about were the abuses at the correctional facilities here in Hopkins County. And I actually happen to have a former associate of mine, she went to Ithaca College, she was a friend who worked there, and um, she also ended up quitting because she, she didn't enjoy like, the abuses we had within those facilities. And then there's also um, poor housing and healthcare in general for like the, um, certain community members here who are low income, and the fact that the Tompkins County is barely doing enough to like bring change to that. Like I know there's the potential um, forgiveness program, but we don't even know where that's going or if that's going to be achieved. So a lot of that, a lot of that sounds like it goes beyond just the, you know, the core. A lot of people see it as just the core issue of like racism and police brutality, but obviously, it goes way beyond that. Can you expand on that? A little yeah, bit? it goes beyond. It's like it's a, it's, it goes like directly into the system, like the, our local government itself, and how um, not just with the police brutality, but there needs to be help with individuals in our community as well, and just a whole like um, a change in the system at least to better help the community and like be aware of the issues revolving around the town. Focusing more on Cornell, so the most recent um, updates that we've had right now is based on the petition. I don't know if you've read it, but we came, um, there was a group of student leaders on campus who came out with a petition basically for a bunch of reforms that they wanted to have within the um, Cornell University. I don't know if you've read it. Do you happen to like check it at all? I looked at it, yeah. There seems to be a lot of a lot of demands that go beyond, once again, beyond just the core racism issue, but like, people in the student body giving them more control, more say, and also like 
being able to choose the faculty seems to be a big part. Yeah, exactly. It's like, so the main focus is just that um, us as students, we feel like that we haven't, uh, we don't have much of a say in terms of like, not just our faculty members themselves, but what goes on like around campus. Like recently there's been a whole bunch of reforms, um, especially towards like the social life on campus. And even then, there was supposed to be like a student committee, I believe, um, in charge of like social events, but the university wasn't even able to gather a committee in time. So they end up using like CUP as like patrol teams. And we just felt like that was like one of the intrusions against like the um, rights we should have as students. So that's why we decided, especially back in 2017 with the list of demands that PSU previously came up with, this is just an expansion upon that because we feel like these demands haven't necessarily been met, like not even halfway by the university. So we just wanted to see a change. And hopefully with this petition and the outreach we can get, especially to alumni, it can actually bring upon something. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing I've seen is like hashtag do better Cornell. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. Yeah, so that was what the student leaders decided to use as like the the slogan for this petition. And it's just the fact that there's so much, like based on these demands, there's so much things that needed to be changed. And just do better Cornell is the best way to put it in terms of making a statement to the university. And I'd imagine, like, organizing the march and the petition and everything has been a little weird because obviously not everyone's on campus and there haven't been, on like, in-person classes in so long. So can you tell me a little bit more about organizing these things when not everyone is in the same place? Yeah, People of might course. Be scared it was actually, yeah, that's definitely one of the reasons why me and Devontae were so surprised. Like, it literally just started with us two. We just came together and decided that we wanted to do something in Tompkins County. He made, um, he reached out to some people, so we had some close associates, like friends within the region that decided to stay over the summer. But it wasn't until we really posted that flyer and then we made it public to our organizations that we saw, like, how fast this, like, our outreach was spreading. And that's what helped us, like, get the connections with these community leaders, so, like, a bunch of people in charge of the Southside Community Center, as well as um, some professors from Cornell as well, and Ithaca College, who were able to come out and show support. And that's what really got it pushed. Through, especially um, Black, um, uh, Black Lives Matter Ithaca, they definitely helped um, spread the protest to the fellow community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you see all this happening, and you know, right now it's June. The, the semester's wrapped up. There's some things going on for the summer, obviously, but not much because of you know COVID-19. What do you think it'll take to keep this energy and bring it back to campus in the fall or spring? And what is it that you want to carry back and bring back to campus? So definitely, I don't want this movement to like just be something that dies out over the summer. Like this is definitely something that we started based on this the movement in, within our society right now. But it's also something that's always needed to change at Cornell. And I feel like once we get back to campus, the same organizations that were involved in both like Cornell Students for Black Lives as well as the um, student leaders who helped come up with this petition are definitely looking forward to like getting together and trying to make an initiative actually on campus. What that would entail is something that we actually haven't planned yet, but I do see it going farther, especially if Cornell doesn't at least make an acknowledgement or statement on behalf of everything that's been going on. And what, uh, what to your knowledge has uh, the administration at Cornell done in response so far? So I would say, uh, in my opinion, based on like the responses both from like Martha as well as just like um, Cornell administration in general, I'd say it's pretty lackluster. I found that it was like it wasn't anything meaningful, especially in regards to like our culture and the university itself. Like the I, I remember Martha Pollock suggested like a, a campus wide book, like creating a book club 
like to help fight against like racial prejudice. But I feel like that that's not enough, in terms, especially in terms of every, everything that minorities face at Cornell and these demands that we eventually came up with. Something that needs to be there's something greater that needs to be done. That the administration isn't like looking up or even facing to acknowledge in any source. And that's especially with the the recent allegations with um the chemistry professor and how even though he was he lost his position, I believe, as director of the chemistry department, it was something that was already going to happen by July first. So it wasn't really like it was just a I'd say a PR move to show that they they've made some type of punishment. For, but in actuality, everyone is demanding that he gets fired because it's just something unacceptable you should be mentioning, especially with everything going on. Mm-hmm. And for you, um, what what do you feel is your part in this movement as uh, not only like an African-American, but also, uh, like you said, a Muslim, a Latino? What, what do you think those aspects for Yeah, so a bit of background. Yeah, a bit of background about myself, just so you, like you wouldn't get confused. I'm... I was born and raised in Morocco. I came here when I was two years old. Morocco is in like the northwest part of Africa, so I'm originally African. Even though I'm I'm brown skin colored, I always also consider myself like a person of color. I might not necessarily be African American, but I also face a lot of prejudices and racial discrimination, especially growing up and being the background of being a Muslim. I feel like this all ties together, and all these issues we're facing, especially with police brutality. I've I've had at least two altercations with police due to the color of my skin that could could have ended up going in alternate direction, and it just goes to show that everyone is feeling the same type of anger. Like, you no, know, um, and I'm hoping that even for for Caucasians, like this could actually help bring awareness, like the struggles that we're facing, and just show that like n- not everyone has the same um, the same privilege of everyday normalcy in life and society, and it, and slowly appearing, and, and people are slowly realizing that this is something that needs to be revamped entirely within our society. And what do you think is the importance of you know the organization from Cornell, Cornell students from Four Black Lives. How do you what do you think the importance is of that? You know they're redirecting money into the local regional communities. How important do you think that is? As you know, Cornell students, you're not going to stay in the communities in most yeah, cases. But, yeah. So on that note, it's like I know that the majority of both Cornell students as well, but like college students, I went like help boost this, the town of Ithaca. Like it's a small town, and even and I know that us as students, we have a large not necessarily a large say, but we make up a large amount of support when it comes to the topic county, when it comes to supporting our local um, businesses and communities. So I know that we definitely need to at least step up in our role in our community to try and like show support for everyone else. Like I know I've seen it firsthand how certain community members don't necessarily have the ability to, to get face to face with certain administrators both at Cornell and receiving within the Ithaca town. And it's shown me and Devontae seen it firsthand after organizing this protest how we were able to to like use our platform to reach out to so much individuals that other people might not have had the opportunity to do just because they weren't um, Cornell students or involved with Cornell directly. And that goes to show that even though we're trying to get somewhere with change, like there needs to be, we need to be met halfway by administration. We can't just be given the platform and, and given the right to say what we believe, but not have our demands met halfway. Uh, is there anything more you want to say? On your experience? Well, I pretty much something about what we've been going through. I just appreciate having this conversation with man. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me. Really appreciate it. Of course. Appreciate it, man. That was Eamon Naji of La Unidad Latina Lambda Upsilon Lambda Fraternity Incorporated, co-organizer of the recent Cornell March for George Floyd and student at Cornell University. 
The full text and links to petitions mentioned can be found in the Cornell Daily Sun, and a full version of the interview can be found on WICB.org following this broadcast. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. Many of the issues brought forth by the protesters and what has prompted them is nothing new. This chanting, Hands up! Don't shoot! Hands up! Don't shoot! is from an Ithaca Now story published five years ago, in December of 2014, when Ithaca came out in solidarity with the Michael Brown and Eric Garner cases. In 2016, too, we saw the creation of Black Lives Matter Ithaca. This is part of a larger set of past WICB news stories focused on Black Lives Matter and discrimination that we have compiled in a playlist, which can be found on our website. This piece originally aired in February of 2016. Now, a group of black organizers from all walks of life have come together to form Black Lives Matter Ithaca. That was Russell Rickford, an assistant professor of history at Cornell University. Rickford, along with several other members of the Ithaca community, announced the official formation of Black Lives Matter Ithaca, or BLMI, last Wednesday at Beverly J. Martin Elementary School. This meeting occurred directly after two of the three co-founders of the National Black Lives Matter movement, Alicia Garza and Opal Tometi, spoke at Cornell University. Sean Eversley Broadwell is an assistant professor in the Center for the Study of Culture, Race, and Ethnicity at Ithaca College and moderated their discussion. I think you'd be hard-pressed to have left there uh, and not be moved in some way. Um, it was an extremely powerful evening, and so I wouldn't do um, the women and my sisters that disservice by trying to condense it to a soundbite. Although Bradwell found the experience to be particularly moving, other guests were turned away due to the chapel reaching its occupational capacity. Ithaca College student Karina Mage traveled from one hill to another and could not get into the event. Um, I'm kind of frustrated. I uh, <laughs> wish they made some type of accommodation, like, uh, I don't know, even just like a screen in a different building. Um, you know, live streaming the event. I feel like it could have been better organized. Although a large number of the crowd was turned away, executive decisions were made to have the event at the historic Sage Chapel. I'm very much aware of the space in particular, and I know there's some concerns uh, because they had to turn folks away, and that's an extremely difficult proposition and a problem. Um, But I also very much aware that Sage Chapel is a historic space, and so it was somewhat of a surreal experience to know that Dr. King has given lectures there, to know that a number of my mentors have given lecturers there. Even though King spoke there nearly 50 years ago, the chapel still continues to host events regarding racial inequality in the United States. Social media has also added a new medium to activism. You know, as we see historically, like these movements are contagious um, and uh, they're, they're, they're inspiring folks, um, uh, a wide array of people. And so mobilization is, is contagious. As far as mobilization, Rickford and others came up with the idea of forming BLMI after attending the National Black Lives Matter conference in Cleveland, Ohio. Ithaca resident Dubia Day spoke at the event and discussed the oppression that people of color face in Ithaca. BLMI will address the many dynamics of Ithaca which launch a continual assault on black lives. How many times must we scream Black Lives Matter? BLMI hopes to tackle issues of gentrification, food insecurity, job discrimination, policing, white supremacy, and violence and oppression against women and members of the LGBTQ community. Members hope to accomplish these goals by working as a leaderless, community-based organization. BLMI is a grassroots 
organization of the people, and we intend to keep it that way. Rather than act as gatekeepers to resources or ambassadors of our community, we hope to build a movement from the bottom up. After the formal announcement, community members were able to ask questions to the individuals that spoke. Several white audience members asked how they could be an ally to the movement and what they could do to help. Nicole Lefebvre, who organized the trip to Cleveland, responded by stressing the importance of listening. I think of all my, my white friends and colleagues that are here that continuously ask me the question, what, what can I do as a white person? And, and what you can do is listen. Members of BLMI encourage the audience to listen and spread the word. Broadwell believes the organization has the ability to bring changes to the Ithaca community. Ithaca has a pretty extended racial history, both when it's tumultuous and when full of successes. The local Black Lives Matter Ithaca movement is being orchestrated by a number of really talented folks and are trying to push us to really put uh, into practice that we put on paper to stop talking the talk and start walking some things. For Paritha Desai, I'm Elena Peach, WICB News. That was a piece on the origin of Black Lives Matter Ithaca that originally aired in February 2016. A full set of past WICB news stories focused on the Black Lives Matter movement can be found on WICB.org. And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our past stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past broadcasts, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now on your favorite podcast app, where we are currently working to bring all available past broadcasts of Ithaca Now. And to get more of your WICB news fix in the summer, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, The Latest, which comes out and airs on the station every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents. For more updates throughout the week, follow us on social media. Search for WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And before you go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager, Sam Ives, our new staff, and our station's executive staff for their support. All of the music from our intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff, who hails from Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at WICB.org. We will be back with more full episodes of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. Sundays in the coming weeks to cover continuing protests and activist movements, the pandemic and its effects on people and businesses here, and other news in Tompkins County. I'm Jay Bradley, and thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.